The kingdom of heaven is like a parable. A parable told by a wise teacher to a group of disciples. A parable is short and sometimes pithy, and the contents of these parables are often mundane. They're speaking of everyday experiences. And yet, this mundane content, when it's allowed to ruminate, when it's discussed, when it's wrestled over, points the disciples to a greater reality, hidden just below the surface of their own. A parable invites a disciple to hear and to wrestle and to make meaning and even to teach. A parable gives its audience hope that what is discovered will grow. As we've gone through this summer, we have been spending time in Matthew and talking about discipleship. We gather together as a community of disciples of our rabbi Jesus. And as we gather, we listen for God's word for us. We receive good news of the kingdom of heaven, and then we are sent back out into the world of the mundane realities. We're sent back out to our jobs or to our schools and to our meetings and to our dishes and all of that mundane stuff. But the hope is that we engage in the mundane reality and that like our rabbi, we find that underneath the mundane, that everything is sacred. Perhaps we can find that in everyday events, the kingdom of heaven is good news that can be experienced here and now. Jesus, Jesus was fond of telling parables. He taught his disciples in parables a lot. In fact, in the Gospels, about one-third of Jesus' teachings are told in parables. And depending on how you define this word parable, scholars count somewhere between 40 and 65 distinct parables in the four Gospels. Jesus liked to tell a good story. And I think we all know that there's really good reason for that. Stories move us. They transport us. They take us somewhere else. They even disarm us if we allow them to. These stories surprise us. They allow us to consider points of view that we not, might not have considered if it wasn't given to us in a story. I think one of my favorite parables, one of the parables that I think uh, I see having so much parable is actually in our Old Testaments. One of the most devastating stories in our Bibles is the story of David's sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. I think you probably know the story. While David should be out on the, on the field with his troops, instead he's lounging on a rooftop. And he sees something. He sees someone that David decides he wants. And so as kings do, he takes her. She ends up pregnant, and it's evident that David's crime is going to be revealed. So he tries to manipulate the woman's husband, Uriah, into finding a way... Uh, to make him think that this child is his own. And when this doesn't work, David has Uriah killed and once again takes what he wants and takes Bathsheba into his own household. The story ends with an ominous statement. It says that what David had done displeased the Lord. Now, there are a lot of ways that we might imagine God could handle this situation. 
We know that sometimes God sends conquering armies. God could strike David down. When Saul displeased the Lord, God sent a prophet to anoint a new king. These are all possibilities for the way that God could handle this. But do you remember what God actually does? God sends a prophet, and the prophet tells a parable to the king. Nathan comes to David and he says, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared, prepared that for the guest who had come to him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As long as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. And Nathan said to him, You are the man. David's response after hearing this parable was a complete change of heart. David realized his sin. He realized and faced the consequence of his action, and he repented. This is the power of a parable. Parables can change hearts and minds, whether we're on thrones or working in a field. Parables and stories engage our whole beings. They challenge us to move. They challenge us emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and they do it in a way that simple axioms can't. Think about it for a second. This topic, this is a topic that Jesus speaks about more frequently than any other topic in the Gospels, this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God. And when God on earth talks about the kingdom, he doesn't give us a list a list of dogma or doctrinal statements. He doesn't define a physical lo location or describe surroundings. Jesus teaches about this kingdom with a parable. He says that the kingdom is like a sower or like a woman hiding yeast or like a treasure hidden in a field or a pearl. Our texts over the last several weeks have all been parables. Each of these parables is found in the 13th chapter of Matthew that we've talked about in the last three weeks. You'll remember that we've talked about the structure of Matthew, how Matthew builds his gospel around five extended teachings of Jesus. This 13th chapter is the third of those teachings. And it says that, Matthew, or it says that Jesus taught only in parables. Jesus told the crowd all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I'll proclaim what has been hidden since the foundation. This is the psalm that Pastor Chris read for us. We've wrestled with the two longest parables in the chapter over the last couple of uh, Sundays. And today we finish this chapter with a reading that held five distinct parables of the kingdom. The first four are pretty similar to one another. And that's where we're going to spend our time because the fifth one was similar to the parable that we read last week. Those first four are parables that you might say talk about the hiddenness of this kingdom. 
Pastor and Professor Gary Peluso calls these four parables parables of subversion. The subjects of these parables subvert our expectation. He says, mustard and yeast, a thief and a merchant, one is struck by the shady, subversive, corrupted, presenting character of these parables, especially in contrast to the portrayal of fruitfulness or a separating wheat from weed or judgment that sorts true disciples from the others. As we read these texts, these parables of the mustard seed and the yeast are paired together, and then a couple verses later, we read these verses of the treasure and the pearl. After reading a parable last week in which an enemy sows bad seed in with the good seed, it's kind of surprising that in the next parable that Jesus tells, he tells of a sower deliberately sowing bad seed into his own field. This sower deliberately plants a weed among his wheat. Mustard is a weed. And just like the parable says, this plant grows massively and quickly, casting shade, stripping resources from the plants around it. But nevertheless, this sower casts this seed with his wheat. And yeast, yeast probably seems a little bit innocuous to us today. But yeast in ancient Israel was not seen to be as helpful as those little packets that we might find at the grocery store. Yeast is what you had to take out of your house as the Passover approached. Yeast was actually used to help decompose bodies. Yeast was used only sparingly in baking because it took so much effort and time. And if you put yeast in with your flour, that flour would spoil if not used soon enough. Both of these parables start with the hiddenness of this kingdom of heaven. A tiny mustard seed cast into a large field or a bit of yeast worked into three measures of flour. This is enough flour to feed a hundred people. This kingdom starts small and starts discreetly, but the kingdom is there. The seed and the yeast hide what will inevitably, inevitably grow into something massive, just as this kingdom does. They provide sustenance. They provide shelter for those that take it. In the next two parables, the parables of treasure and pearl speak to the value of this same kingdom. Now, when I first read that quote I shared with you from Dr. Peluso, I was a little bit confused. I've read these parables several times this week, and I had not once read the word thief in the parables, and yet this is the word that Dr. Peluso uses to describe this one. As I read his words, though, he points out something that I should have probably seen as obvious. This man finds a treasure in someone else's field. We don't know if he's digging in that field because he's supposed to be or if he's digging somewhere he's not supposed to be. What we know is that he finds a treasure in someone else's field and sells all he has to buy it. This is a parable about the kingdom of heaven that actually describes something that looks an awful lot like an act of theft. And in the next parable, we read of a merchant that sells all that he has to buy a single pearl. Wealthy merchants in Jesus' day weren't held in high esteem. And the surprising piece of this parable is that a wealthy merchant would put themselves out of business for the benefit of owning one single pearl. 
This isn't a business practice that we would teach in our schools. These parables tell us that when this kingdom is found, it's worth everything. But like the first two, they play on the hiddenness. This kingdom, this value of this kingdom is hidden in a field or among a bunch of pearls. And the way that the people obtain these treasures is surprising. Together, these four brief parables tell us much about these kingdoms. They tell us that God's reign, though hidden and small, will grow. That the kingdom is coming in fullness and that it's worth everything that we can give. The question then that Jesus asks his disciples in the story and that we can ask ourselves today is this. Jesus says, do you understand? Jesus speaks in these parables that are like little riddles and he asks his disciples, have you understood all this? And in our story, the disciples all say, yeah. I find this a little bit surprising. I kind of wonder how exactly this yes is delivered. Is it really that confident or is it more of a, you know, whimper of uncertainty? Because the chapters that follow... And as we've seen in the chapters preceding this, tell stories of the crowds and the disciples constantly, constantly missing the point. They don't understand who Jesus is and what exactly this kingdom that Jesus proclaims is. But the parable nonetheless invites a response. If I had to ask myself this question, do I understand all of these things when I read these parables, my honest answer would have to be no. I've got books and books. I've got one book that's about this thick, about these 40 to 65 parables. I didn't know somebody could write that much about them. And I've read most of that book. And I still don't understand all of that's, all that's contained in these treasures. I think that Jesus, though uses these parables to invite us into a conversation. I think that understanding invites us to wrestle. It invites us to talk. It invites us to find meaning for our community today. I think that understanding is an invitation that I share with each of you. Father Anthony DeMello was an Indian Jesuit priest who served in both India and here in America in the 20th century. And because of his upbringing in India, he's well-versed in the folklore of India. And just as missionaries have done for centuries, he used to take stories that were familiar to his people and use them to point to the gospel truth. I'd like to close our time together this morning with one of Father DeMello's parables because I think it too describes the beauty of this kingdom. And it describes a piece of our wrestling with it, a bit of the conversation as we move toward understanding. A wise man had reached the outskirts of the village and settled down under a tree for the night when a villager came running up to him and shouted, The stone! The stone! Give me the precious stone! What stone? said the wise man. Last night, God appeared to me in a dream, said the villager, and told me that if I came to this field at dusk, I should find a wise man that would give me a stone that would make me rich forever. The wise man rummaged in his bag and he pulled out a huge stone. He said that he probably meant this one. He handed the stone over to the villager and said, I found it on the forest path a couple of days ago. You can have it. 
The man gazed at the stone in wonder. It was a diamond, and it was probably the largest diamond on earth. It was the size of the man's head. The man took the stone, took the diamond, and he walked away, and he went home. All that night, though, he tossed in bed. He was unable to sleep. And the next day, at the crack of dawn, he woke up and he went back to the field and he found the wise man and he said, please give me the wealth that you have that lets you give away this stone so easily. May we all have ears to hear. In the name of the God that creates worlds with words and the Son who speaks in parables and the Spirit that guides our understanding. Amen.